everyone, and welcome to another off-season edition of the Talking About Podcast. I'm Sean Kennedy. With me on the line again this week is Dave Early of Liberty Ballers. Dave, how are you doing this week? I'm well, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're going to start off with some finals talk, but rather than just kind of recap what happened with the games since we last spoke last week, we wanted to give a little Sixers angle and kind of lay out what are what are some takeaways the Sixers could watch from a roster building perspective, a strategy perspective, um, seeing seeing what's working for Boston and, and Golden State during these finals. Um, after game three, where Boston won 116-100, they're now two games to one. So as much as it pains us in Philadelphia, um, it does seem like the Celtics have pretty good blueprint right now. Uh, what, Dave, what, what comes to mind for you? Like, if, if you're the Sixers front office scouting department watching at home, you're, you're seeing these these finals take place, what, what are the takeaways they should uh, come away with? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been trying to ask myself that when I watch these games. I think the Celtics just look really, really athletic too, don't they? I mean, they yep. look... They look like they're very they're very efficient because every one of their players plays both ends of the floor, not just at all, but well. So and, and as a five man unit, they make each other better, too. So that's going to be really tough to match up with the Sixers. I had to play them. Um, not sure what they would do for the backup center minutes. We talk about that a lot in Philly, but like they had a player like Andre Drummond, who was a steal last year, even even guys like that. Uh, could get played off the floor versus a team like the Celtics. So I guess one takeaway would be uh, was it Dan Devine who had a piece like the Celtics are out small balling the, the Warriors and the Warriors were known for small ball this season. So they might need a few looks like that, particularly for when Joel Embiid sits. Joel Embiid's mere presence on the floor kind of negates us being able to call anything a small ball, but they could do a little bit more five out. I think Sometimes I've seen lineups that people refer to as small ball with Giannis and no big. Um, yeah, I think small ball nowadays, when, when people mention that, it just means everyone on the floor can move. Like everyone yeah. can be switchable. They can guard the perimeter. It, it's the NBA in 2022. So there are plenty of guys that can do that that are 6'10", 6'11". Um, so you say small ball, but that's, it's kind of a misnomer, but yeah, I think that's what it means. It means nobody is kind of restricted to the painted area. Everyone can, can guard out to the arc. Everyone's able to move laterally. Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's, I, I agree. That's kind of the main takeaway Boston. Everyone they have is either switchable defensively or they can spread the floor out beyond the arc. So in the case of Robert Williams, he's he's a guy he can pretty much guard two through five kind of fairly adequately, um, and still def- defend the rim exceptionally well. Uh, then you have their other big Al Horford, who he's you know he's able to switch maybe fours and fives. Uh, he doesn't have the switchability that Robert Williams does, but he is able to be a perimeter threat. Um, we saw in Game One he had six threes that we talked about last week. So that allows you to do five out stuff offensively. Um, and then just up and down the roster, I, th- I think athleticism is the key. As you mentioned, the, aside from maybe Pete and Pritchard, there's, there's really no weak links defensively and Pritchard's playing less than 10 minutes a game, but everyone else you feel good about their l- lateral 
switchability, their their strength. Um, they they can just kind of do a lot of different schemes with the personnel they have available, and there, there's not a lot of weak links in the chain. And I think as as the playoffs go on, that kind of becomes of paramount importance. Just don't have any holes in your defense that people can attack and try to get people on switches and just go back to that again and again. We saw that with Seth Curry, even though he was having a great offensive series against Atlanta, he was exploited defensively back when JJ Redick was with the Sixers in the postseason. He was doing a lot as their like second or third best offensive weapon. But again, like I remember the Boston series years ago, they were, they were hunting him and you just can't have that guy that teams can just attack again and again. Um, in your rotation when the postseason rolls around and it doesn't seem like Boston has that. So they're, they're really benefiting from that. Yeah. Yeah. They have, uh, there's, there's not many weak links there at all. Uh, they can all, you can spread the floor. I mean, Al Horford is a much better player offensively when there's so many people who can spot up around the arc, isn't it? Cause you can cut, they can spot up and then he, his decision-making becomes so much better than it looked when he was in Philadelphia. So yeah, his, his passing is really helped by not having two guys in the paint. Like they were playing Embiid, Simmons and Horford all together and Simmons is in the dunker Embiid's in the high, the, the low post uh, opposite Simmons maybe. And then Horford's trying to create passing lanes, but they're just not there. Cause you got, you got two guys down low. That's, that's whereas with Boston, you're right. The five out stuff, they can do backdoor cuts. They can do a lot, a lot of different things. And those passing lanes are, are available that, that weren't there when he was with Philadelphia. So, yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it was Kevin O'Connor who wrote recently that Joel Embiid is already back and working on his perimeter attack. And when I read that, the first part of me was like, oh, no, are we sure that we want him attacking from like 25 feet away from the rim? Yeah. But then we're, I real, but then we're going to hear a lot, a lot of, a lot of Shaq and Chuck saying, get your, get your butt in the paint. <laughs> yeah, we will. If he's, if he's dribbling a lot for sure. But then, then I thought about it a little bit more carefully and I was like, this team did not do a lot of five out looks and that is not the best recipe to ramp up a guy like James Harden. You know, he's thrived with that type of look in his career. So if you were to say to Joel, Hey, we want to try more of this stuff with nobody in the paint and see what can happen as an alternative to the pick and roll. um, Maybe that's why he decided, all right, let me, let me work on my spot up threes. And then obviously I'm going to get some closeouts. What can I improve upon in terms of my attack? there'll be certain passing reads that I'm not used to making from a drive. If I ever catch a guy with my super slow pump fake way above my head, um, <laughs> which, which still gets a lot of guys. <laughs> it still works because he can, he can shoot, you know, and he's not as good there from the, fr- as he is from the free throw line, obviously. Um, but for a big guy, you would call him a stretch big pretty much. Cause it's so hard to find one. So if, if they have more looks like that, I would think that was a good takeaway to have from these playoffs because the final four Everyone had a small ball look. Everyone had a five, a five out look. Yep. Um, yeah, I agree. And people can say, oh, well, you have Joel Embiid. That's like a skeleton key. He can just score at will against these undersized lineups. And yeah, Joel would get his. But Golden State has a guy in Steph Curry who is obviously a very different player, but people would call like this unbeatable skeleton key on offense as, as well because he can pull up from anywhere 27 feet in um but it it still is not quite enough um when when you have a team that's able to do the the hand-to-hand communicating that boston does along the perimeter and and switch and 
throw out a lot of different schemes that they can just seamlessly integrate mid-game like they do. Um, you can still have one transcendent player, but it might not be enough. Um, and we'll see if if Golden State is able to come back in this series. But the the fact of the matter is Boston is the more athletic team. They're getting the more loose balls. They're they're working harder on the boards. They're better defensively. Um, just aside from the fact that Golden State has the best shooter of all time, Boston pretty much has everything else going for them. So, yeah, even in a series where you could say Joel Embiid would still be the best player and they, those tend to win, um, you know, it, it doesn't help if the opponent checks every other box and has the best two through five in the series. Um, it, so, yeah, it's it's a, it's a good window into the areas the Sixers need to kind of focus on and improve moving forward. Um, it, it's, it can't just be Joel and a bunch of guys spotting up around him. Um, there, there have to be other dynamic athletes on the roster and they, they just don't have enough right now. So particularly um, because they could, they could deploy Al Horford and Robert Williams on Joel for most of the game now and double him. And if you've got James Harden, who doesn't love to shoot catch and shoot threes and Tobias Harris, who's the same, um, you know, Maxie's improving there, but you don't have these absolute snipers that Joel can just kick to and they're definitely going to shoot it. So you can double him and recover against this team the last we saw it. So they want to address that too. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. Um, let me run this by you. Is there any small part of you that's glad that the Sixers lost to Miami? Because seeing as well as Boston's playing right now, it, it really would have been frustrating to have to lose a postseason series to Boston. Um, I, I know logically you, you say you want to win. You never know what could happen. But I, there's a small part of me watching the Celtics really excel right now where I'm like, man, I, I'm, I'm kind of glad the Sixers didn't have to play the Celtics because I think they would have got their their uh, behinds handed to them. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't have liked that experience one little bit. <laughs> well, is the, is the loss coming in the second round to Boston? Or if I say I'd rather lose to Boston, do I get to the final four? Yeah, it, it would have been a conference finals appearance. So I'll, I will take that just for like yeah. the mental step of progress to feel like, all right, they, they broke through that door. They got to the final four for the first time in Joel Embiid's career. Now they're, now they can build upon that. I would have taken that as much as it would have hurt because this isn't feeling much better watching Boston win the title as someone who roots against Boston every game this season. Yeah. It, it's not going to feel great. Um, I, I agree with you logically, obviously you, you want to, advance farther um it, it certainly would help with like free agent pitches i would imagine that's it, true too yeah, yeah yeah you're looking at like these mid-level guys and you're like hey we're right there like you could have been the difference between conference finals and a finals appearance if you if you join up um so yeah all that makes sense but just this this uh, small irrational part of me is like man i'm, I'm pretty gl- <laughs> pretty glad they didn't they didn't have to face boston and like losing five or something yeah i feel <laughs> you that wouldn't tough Especially because the two best players are like under 25. Yep. Yeah. The, the future is bright. And um, yeah, we uh, another takeaway that we could have from watching these finals is if, if you have a chance to draft a guy like Jason Tatum, you should probably do it. Oh. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad I'm glad that one's not going to haunt us for the next decade. <laughs> and uh, if, if he has, has a ring at, at his age already, finals, finals MVP potentially, 
man. It's... Do you think this is <laughs> somewhat difficult for Brian Colangelo to see this happening? Um, I'm not even sure Brian Colangelo is watching basketball anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't he like coaching in Australia or something? Uh, he like owned it. He's he bought a ownership stake in a team or something, right? Okay. Wasn't that it? Yeah, because uh, this would hurt me. This would physically hurt me to see. I was so sure that Fultz was a tier above that I traded up for him. And I probably would have taken this guy Tatum at three if he was there and he fell, all things being equal, if I had only just thought to myself, well, there's not a huge difference between this group. Yeah. Um, they might well, still be there, Twitter and all, uh, burners and all. <laughs> I, I, all right. judge, judging from uh, Burnergate, I, I don't think Brian Clangelo is a, an introspective person. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I don't know how much soul searching he's doing over this. Um, Fair enough. I, I, I imagine he would find a way to, to lash out at a, and, and find a, a villain that was the true culprit for the downfall of the franchise. It was probably Joel Embiid's fault um, for not being conditioned well enough while he was there or something. I don't know. Uh, yeah. He, I, I imagine he would find someone else to blame rather than, shoulder the burden himself <laughs> some people blame his father for blocking the okafer trade which might have landed him the pick that became jalen brown so maybe he could blame his jerry yeah yeah why not that it'd be a little succession type wrinkle where it's it's always <laughs> yes. dad's fault <laughs> yes uh, who's but... greg the egg in this story? <laughs> i don't know is there a colangelo cousin i don't know about someone they have uh doing the the deep scouting in the Australian league right now. I was going to think of someone from like Hinky's team to be sort of the cunning nerd. <laughs> well, that, that's not the Greg is, is Greg, Greg's not the cunning nerd type. <laughs> he, he's like, sometimes you think he's dumb and sometimes you think, Oh, he's going to be the CEO one day. He's going to swoop in. Yeah. He's going to fail upwards. And yes, so there's no one else left. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the, the Peter principle in business where you eventually get promoted beyond where you're qualified. Um, yes. Yeah. Greg, Greg has reached that principle many times over on succession. So, um, all right. So that, that's, that wraps up our takeaways from the finals. Um, again, we'll see if uh, golden state can have any sort of counterattack and maybe tie the series up at home uh, in game four on Friday. If Curry's even healthy, I don't know now. Yeah. The, the ankle, he tweaked his ankle in game three. It looked like he was walking. All right. In the, uh, they had a media session recently and looked like he was putting weight on it and everything. So I imagine he'll suit up, but yeah, if he's like 80%, um, that they already have such a slim margin for error right now. Uh, it's, it's going to be tough. Um, especially if Draymond green continues to play as poorly as he did, um, in game three, like they, they really need him to step up in a big way and, and be much more of the, 2016 version of Draymond than, than what we're seeing right now, but is that player still there? I don't know. So it's going to be tough for Golden State, but we'll see um, on Friday night in Game 4 and, and moving forward. Um, so pivoting to the, the draft, which is now two weeks away, um, we're not going to do any in-depth sort of draft prospect analysis here. That's not our forte, or I'll speak for myself, it's not my forte. So No, me too. Me <laughs> Yeah, so um, there's other people you should be listening to, but we did want to bring up uh, Tom West on the site did a did a mock draft roundup, um, kind of the guys that people are targeting for the Sixers at the, that 23 pick. So 
Dave, you you uh, you were talking about this offline. Is there anyone you wanted to highlight from that piece in particular? I, I thought a few of the guys that Tom profiled looked pretty good. Um, Jalen Williams, a six six guard. He he mentioned. Let's see, EJ Lydell. A lot of people are talking about him as a six foot six foot seven forward. People want. I I think that what our Harrison Grimm has been stumping for is basically a wing. It can be a stretch for someone in the mold of a Grant Williams, ideally. Um, but people want a wing. Sometimes when they hear us mention a guy like Kennedy Chandler, who's a six foot one or five foot 10 with, with no shoes point guard, people are like, well, what do they need that for? Can't you always have one of James Harden and Tyrese Maxey on the floor at all times? Um, but then people might push back on that and said, if the best player falls to you, you just take them. You don't really worry. Like the Sixers once upon a time could have had Jokic also to go with Nerlens and Okafor and Embiid. And you wish that they did. But so do you really care if there's a guy that you love on the board that he doesn't fit? Um, I guess you have to try to balance those two competing theories. People, uh, he also mentioned Nikola Jovic, 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 um, yeah. Jovic. A 6'11 forward from Serbia who just turned 19 as an upside pick. So um, he quoted a passage basically saying if they wanted to swing for the fences, 18 year old Serbian could be an interesting gamble. Um, so that's another way to go. I, I heard from a, an anonymous source who follows the draft very closely that some teams have had character concerns with him, um, but the upside is there. So, yeah, um, if, if they do keep the pick and, and, select a, a rookie that they intend to be on the roster next year. I, I don't see it being a, like a huge upside swing. I feel like their, their window is so condensed right now. We got Embiid in his prime and you're trying to squeeze every healthy season you can out of him. And then with Harden, we're going to talk about Harden in a second, but you don't know, he might opt in and only be here for a year before he becomes an unrestricted free agent, or they might try to do a, a signed him to an, an extension and maybe try to make it a three-year extension, meaning this year plus two additional years. So you're really kind of looking at like a three-year window where you really want to put all the pieces in place to maximize the roster in the short term. And they don't have a lot of avenues to do that going forward just because of the cap situation. And they've kind of mortgaged a lot of their picks in the last couple of years to try to win now. Um, so this is one of the, the, the few remaining pieces they do have at their disposal. So I, I just don't see them taking a guy who, yeah, it, it could be a good pick in a, in a vacuum, but he might not be ready for four years um, to, to be a real contributor. I, I don't see that happening. I, I, I lean more towards the, hey, we need to get a, a, a three and D type. Yeah, it can be a, a guard who can guard maybe one through three. That'd be fine. But I think ideally a wing and you mentioned Harrison Grimm for us. He, he wrote a piece on Tari Eason, who seems to be the uh, Tyrese Maxey memorial guy who will probably go in the lottery, late lottery, but we hope slips to the early twenties. He, he seems to be that guy among the Sixers fan base right now. You know, the, the six foot eight forward from LSU who just seems like he would check a lot of boxes for the Sixers right now. 
Um, but he, he probably will end up going in like the 15 to 18 range more so than dropping to 28, but Hey, we, we kind of said a similar thing with Tyrese Maxey and he fell to the Sixers in the early twenties. So could be a repeat of that. And Jeremy Wu of SI in his mock draft did have Tari Eason going to the, the Sixers. So, um, yeah, it, it could happen, but I, I think that's going to be the, the avenue they, they go if they do keep the pick and don't trade it away for, for veteran help. Um, it, is they're going to get a guy that can kind of step in day one, or if not day one, they feel like they could round them in the form by the time the, the postseason rolls around in, in 2023. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't I was, see it being a project guy. I was scouring some of some Daryl Morey things he said publicly over the years. Um, Francis Parker on Twitter found something he wrote a year ago on a Reddit Q and a someone asked him is picking in the twenties. Do you prefer raw upside or more of a guy who can project to be a specialist? And Maury wrote mostly look for upside, but also open older players who can make a quick contribution in the draft. So each tail of the age curve curve generally. So like, you know, maybe he would look for an 18 year old who was really, really good or a 22 year old who was really, really good. Um, because he would see value there in, in the upside or the, what you mentioned more of a, just step on the floor and know that he can help in the mold of a Derek white once upon a time who now we're watching the finals. Um, yeah. I've also heard him say things like we want a guy who was, who had tremendous college production. Who's a little bit older. We know that those, those players tend to slip uh, and they're like uh, addicted to working. Like they love the game so much and we look for qualities like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. And and you mentioned Derek White. Maybe they could target guys who are looking to have a child within the next year, and can somehow that helps. <laughs> can harness the dad powers when, when the playoffs. Yeah, dad roll powers. Joel's <laughs> <laughs> dad powers worked for us this year. Yeah, absolutely. We just need a whole roster. We don't. We don't need guys going out to the club looking to pick up people. We need guys that are going to be sleep deprived and can really tap into the the new dad strength. So do um, we want, can we ask James Harden to settle down? <laughs> you can ask. I don't think he's going to listen. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, good segue um, to James Harden. He has to make a decision whether he's going to opt in or not to the final year of his deal by June 30th. Um, Dave, you've been on this, the Harden beat for a while. Do you want to quickly outline the, the options and the different different ways this could play out for us? Yeah, essentially the Sixers will look to if they want him to opt out, they're going to need to say, like, how could you convince me? Do not take forty seven million dollars in one season. You'd have to offer me like one hundred and eighty million dollars to even get me to start really thinking about it. Right. Because I'm thinking I'll take the forty seven and I'm probably going to make about that one eighty in total anyway. And maybe a lot more if I opt in. So if you don't want him to opt in, you're going to have to come with a pretty big bag and maybe a four-year deal. You mentioned, I think, what a lot of people are, kind of have their eye on is a two plus one. So the question would be, is that with him opting in and you tack two years on and he's got an option in that third year? Or is it he doesn't opt in and you could, I mean, this would be like a home run from the team perspective, you get him on some sort of, um, you know, $35 million each year for three years, something like that. I don't know how it's going to end up. I guess if we were Vegas ballparking it, we would say there's a chance he plays out one year 
or there's a chance they, they offer him a five-year deal. So just pick the difference and say over under at three years. Yeah. I, I feel like from a Sixers perspective, a lot of the buzz has been like, try to get that, that three year, meaning this year plus two additional years tacked on, um, you try to do like a three year, 120 million. So AAV of around 40 million a year. So still good money for Harden this year. And he can remain one of the higher paid players in the league, you know, $40 million a year, each of the next two years, uh, still enough, nothing to sniff at. And then he'd be a free agent when that potential cap spike hits, when the new TV deal kicks in, in, in 2025. So from his perspective, that's how you can maybe sell it. Like, Hey, you're, you're still making really good money this take shaving the seven or $8 million off this year will help, help us stay under the, the hard cap and do some stuff with our exceptions to, um, you know, put a more competitive roster around you and help us win, which we, you've said like that, that is important to you. Um, and then you can, you can maybe still not miss out uh, financially because you can maybe get another pretty good payday when that, that cap spike hits in a few years down the road. So that that's going to be the conversation they, they have with him and try to pitch it that way, whether he's willing to, to do that, or he's going to say that, you know, Hey, my injury history hasn't been spectacular the last couple of years. I'd rather just get the, the sure money now rather than hope that I'm still reasonably healthy three years down the road. I, I don't know. We'll see. It's that's, that's going to be his decision to make. Um, I, I don't, I can't really get inside the head of a guy who said that he forgot to fax over his, his opt-in when they <laughs> traded for him. So clearly he's not a, you know, the, every, every financial savvy ins and out and loophole he could find. He's definitely not a, doesn't have those circled. Um, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see how it plays out. We're going to find out in or, or the, the opposite. End of the month. He, he knew that, the savviest thing to do was to defer this option until the summer. <laughs> to, to act, to act like he wanted to to do it, and then he for, say he forgot. It was a yeah. a, a, a deep con. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the idea that he forgot is not very credible to me. I think someone advised him, "Let's figure this out later." Okay, uh, give them give them a chance to uh, to make this worth your while, one way or the other. If I'm if I'm James, though, I I would just say like. Yeah, we just we're, we're gonna let it play out, and I I, I want to be here, um, but we're, we're gonna we're gonna tackle this issue in the off season. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I forgot to do it. <laughs> that you you really come off. Uh, well, did he actually come off say in a he forgot? I think like Shams reported yeah. words like that, right? I I I don't think I would have that wording unless that's exactly what was reported. Um, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember how it was reported, but. I thought forgot was what we started saying, but I don't know if he actually said it, did he? <laughs> That's, I mean, I, I don't have, I don't have the, the report or the, the quote in front of me, but that, that is what I remember. Um, I'll, I'll try yeah. to, I'll try to find it where we're, while we're discussing things, but so that, anyway, that's, that's the Harden situation right now. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out in coming weeks. Um, obviously that's going to play a large role in how this off season plays out for the Sixers because, how much money is earmarked to Harden is going to, you know, op- either open some doors for them or, you know, it's going to severely limit what they can do the rest of this offseason. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to do our Isaiah Joe season and review. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, and we're back. So Dave, continuing our season and review series here at the Liberty Bowlers Podcast Network, we're, we're tackling Isaiah Joe. Um, he, again, not didn't take a big step forward this year. He actually only played 11 minutes a game this year, appearing in 55 games, not too much more than the nine minutes a game he played as a rookie. Um, his, his shooting numbers were down from his rookie year. He only shot 33% from three, 35% from the field overall. Um, those, those percentages were down a little bit from his rookie year, but you know, very small sample size. He never got consistent playing time. Um, is that just doc rivers and not trusting young guys, uh, unless they're an exceptional case like Tyrese Maxey or is Isaiah Joe just not have the goods? What was your overall takeaway where things stand with Joe right now coming off his second season, um, and his, his overall outlook in your mind? It's tough to say, right? Because we watched Paul Reed not get the opportunity. And now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he had deserved it. So the fact, you know, normally we would say the fact that he wasn't able and, you know, they can see everything in practice. We, we can't necessarily give him the benefit of the doubt. That being said, it's also hard to feel comfortable that he's definitely a rotation player. Uh, you know, you certainly wouldn't guess that he will be in their nine man for next year's playoffs, right? Like that would be hard to feel comfortable ballparking. There's a, there's a part of you that you probably have to acknowledge. I'm not positive that he's even an NBA player. Um, and then, and then there's the chance that he is, and he's a good value and he's a knockdown shooter. And the variance that we've seen is what comes from not being able to develop a rhythm. Like you get put in a game and you get one look, what are the chances that you're going to shoot 40% from three if you're not even taking threes routinely and you don't know when those are going to come? So very, very difficult, in my opinion, to evaluate a situation like this when you see so little. You know, kind of the, the minutes he's getting in games is almost like the tip of the iceberg and who knows what else they're seeing. But he has talked a lot since the season ended about bulking up and, not, and proving he's not a liability on defense and getting stronger there. So my guess is that's what he's been told he needs to do to gain their trust to get on that court and not just get bullied and bulldozed when he's out there defensively. Yeah, he's mentioned that both in his exit interviews and in uh, a recent interview with uh, Arkansas Razorback Media. It's just, just saying, yeah, getting stronger is his, his number one priority, which you totally understand. Here, It's a guy that's like 165, 170, uh, which for 
a six four NBA player is extremely light. Um, he's he's shown like good defensive instincts. He, he he's taken charges a number of times where you, you watch and you say that's a really good play. He he kind of anticipated really well. Um, he has pretty good lateral movement. Uh, I, so I feel like the the quickness and the ability to defend in space is probably there. But as you mentioned, and as we're, we're highlighting, the strength is definitely a concern where guys could just kind of like back into him with the drive, like kind of bowl him over on their way into the painted area, any sort of like boxing out or trying, trying to keep guys off the boards would be difficult for, for Joe at his, his size. So there, there's definitely room for improvement in that area. Um, again, just not a big enough sample size for us to know, but if you're looking at a guy that's, you know, tipping the scales at 165, that's, you can kind of understand where the coaching staff's coming from, not, not trusting him on that end of the floor. And then offensively, like he has good range. Like he's, he's capable of knocking down shots from a couple feet behind the arc. So potentially that gravity would be there as, as a, a guy spotting up around Joel or getting kickouts from James Harden or, or whatever whatever it is, um, I feel like he could be a helpful part of the offense. The, the secondary playmaking is in there. So that's, that's another thing Joe himself has highlighted um, in offseason uh, interviews and stuff is saying, hey, I need to be better off the dribble more as a, a playmaker. So if guys close out hard on him, he can, he can kind of get into that, uh, that secondary playmaking position and, and drive the lane or whatever. So that scenario has to improve as well. Um, I feel like he's a good shooter. I don't think you, you can look at his 33% in the whatever small sample size it was this year and, and, and not think he can pan out as an NBA shooter. I feel like he's a legitimate NBA shooter. I, I feel pretty good about that. Just, you know, you look at his history as a college player, you look at, you know, the, the two-year sample we've seen, just his stroke looks really good. He's, you know, as I said, from a couple of feet behind the arc, I feel good about that. It's the other areas of his offensive game. Can he do enough on hard closeouts to attack those? Can he have any off the bounce game whatsoever, just as like a tertiary playmaker type guy? Those are areas I need to see, and we just haven't seen them. So I'd, I'd like to see him get a little bit more of a chance on the floor in, in NBA games. Um, but whether or not the roster will be improved enough where there will be an opening for, for him to do that, that, that kind of remains to be seen. So, yeah, it's, it's tough, to, tough to gauge because we don't have enough film on him at the NBA level at this point. And you just kind of trust the coaching staff uh, who get to see him every day in practice and everything else. Um, they have the best evaluation right now. Like, we don't, we don't know from the outside. I think if he were an absolute gunner, I mean, a knockdown sniper that they would be willing to overlook. You mentioned the ball handling that wasn't really there this year, and he's talked about wanting to improve that this offseason and, and showed that that's part of his game. It's hard for me to imagine that anyone on the coaching staff is going to really want him to do that because if you're out there with, with James Harden and you could spot up you know, three or four feet beyond, behind that arc, that's what's going to be really valuable offensively that if he drives and he draws your man and he kicks it out to you, you can knock it down. We really don't need you to do much else. You can play. Like if you can knock down that shot, there's going to be a spot for you. Um, so the one problem is you start to wonder, like for a guy who was a knockdown shooter, is he like, is there something that isn't clicking there? Cause 
Korkmaz was a knockdown shooter, a stone cold natural. And he's just, now he's just a shooter who doesn't make most of his shots and doesn't make half of his shots and doesn't make 40%. So I don't know if it's a Philly thing. You, you come here and it's harder to shoot. Um, but there are just enough questions. Like I was looking at his shot in slow motion before we recorded a little bit of head movement backwards. Um, maybe an acute angle on his shooting elbow. So it's possible that there's some variance here and that's why he wasn't more of a reliable shooter. But again, it's really, really tough to say if that's even a thing. Like I would feel better if I could see him in practice and say like, all right, I just watched him knock down 25 out of 31. I have no concerns about his shot. And that might be the case. Yeah. We see some of these videos where obviously they only post the best stuff you would think, but like he'll hit nine of 10 from 25 feet. And you, you think, yeah, he's a, he's a knockdown shooter. Like he, he can definitely do it. Um, and like, yeah, just like, like I said earlier, I feel like shooting, that's not really a concern for me. I feel like that, that part of his game is there. It's just everything else. Um, but he's, he's on that second round contract. So he's making less than $2 million this year. So from a roster build perspective, there's a lot of incentive for the Sixers to, see if he can pan out as a rotation player. Yeah. So I, I would anticipate them giving him a shot this upcoming season and whether, whether or not he's able to, to run with it. Um, that's anyone's guess. We just don't have enough, enough of a sample size right now. I was curious to see him over Cork Maz and shake Milton at times this regular season, because of the three, I thought to myself, maybe he's the most reliable to just drain a, a contested corner three. Yep. I, I definitely would have liked to see that as well. Um, as much as, especially Cork Moss with when he went through his ice cold stretch during the season. Um, yeah. So we'll see what comes from Joe in the future. Um, definitely a guy that has some intriguing potential as a shooter, but he had a lot of question marks still, uh, which to be expected for guy taken in the second round. All right, Dave, that that'll wrap it up for us here this week. Um, I'm going to, we're going to take a week off next week here and talking about podcasts, but we'll be back in two weeks. So Dave, where can people find you online? At David Early on Twitter. All right. Um, I'm at Philly Fast Break on Twitter and check out all the work for the site at libertyballers.com. Thanks again, Dave. And everybody will talk to you in a couple of weeks.